Specialty Story, session number 99. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. I'm excited to have you here today. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and this is episode 99, One Away From 100, which is awesome. This is our fourth podcast now that is into triple digits as far as episode numbers, and we're well over 5 million downloads for all of our shows. So thank you for being one of those downloads if this is the only time that you've listened and multiple downloads if you have been a recurring uh, listener here on the podcast. This week, we have an awesome guest, a different type of specialty, one that you may have never thought of before. We have a pathologist-trained blood banking transfusion medicine specialist, Dr. Aaron Schmuckler, joining us today. He's been out of training now for a year and a half, and he's in an academic setting in West Virginia. And he talks all about what it's like to be a blood banking transfusion medicine specialist. And we start by what actually led him to that field. So I would say that I fell into blood bank transfusion medicine a little bit uh, late, so to speak. I had actually started uh, a transitional year uh, and uh, started uh, residency in neurology, actually. Uh, and what happened was is that I realized that something was missing. And what was missing was the lab. Uh, I missed a lot of the basic sciences and uh, the laboratory work uh, from uh, medical school. Uh, and uh, I went into pathology, actually, uh, really uh, enjoying the field. Um, but then uh, I finished pathology residency and quickly realized that I also missed seeing patients at the bedside. So I subspecialized in transfusion medicine and blood banking, uh, where the bedside uh, aspect of care is the apheresis side and uh, also general non-apheresis issues. Um, such as asking patients about uh, their uh, history and trans- uh, their transfusion history, for example, um, and uh, the laboratory side, where I kind of work behind the scenes, uh, playing uh, games, so to speak, uh, serious games, of course. But uh, <laughs> these are puzzles. Um, that is the antibody panels, and making sure that uh, the blood that uh, comes out of my blood bank is going to be compatible uh, when it's transfused into a patient. Interesting. I think the majority of students, when they here, pathologists in general will, will think n- no patient contact at all. Uh, what, what percentage of your time is interacting with patients as a transfusion medicine specialist? Uh, it has varied. Um, I did a lot more of it in fellowship because I was uh, training more formally in apheresis. So when I was there, about half my time, I would be uh, seeing consults, talking with patients, um, at that point, and uh, the other half just studying and uh, uh, looking at uh, panels. Um, 
Now it's a little bit less, although we are trying to uh, bring up a, uh, a little bit more uh, apheresis opportunities here at uh, where I'm working at. Uh, so, um, but still, I every once in a while will go talk to patients. So, hmm. what traits do you think lead to someone being a good blood bank and, and transfusion medicine specialist? Um, I would say that, uh, and this also goes for the general field of pathology, which is how I got to blood bank and transfusion medicine. Uh, detailed oriented very specific, uh, and also concise, I would say. Uh, and I must admit, I sometimes struggle with this, but, uh, um, if you're say a pathologist and you're writing comments, uh, especially surgeons, they don't want to read anything long. They want to know, uh, pretty much the essence of the synoptic reports. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, and so, uh, shorter is better and very detailed and, uh, you can't miss really any, anything. So when you catch a lab result, for example, that, uh, is a little odd or unexpected, uh, you better uh, catch it and you better uh, question it to make sure that it is truly uh, the right result. Now, you're a, a rare breed having changed specialties after matching. What do you think it was about neurology that initially drew your interest? Um, when I was in... Uh, college uh down the street from where i lived there was a uh a assisted living facility actually and uh, i became interested in caring for uh patients who had alzheimer's there and uh i thought that uh that aspect of it was very meaningful to me um and uh just uh, neurological diseases in general localizing lesions um uh was very interesting to me. And uh, at the time, I don't think I was too shabby at it. Uh, now, of course, uh, don't ask me anything about that. <laughs> but uh, at the time, it was very interesting. And I really liked the neuroanatomy and the pathology and just interacting with those kinds of patients. Um, and so that's sort of what drew to me int- uh, initially to uh, neurology. Okay. As, as a blood banking transfusion medicine specialist, what types of things things are you seeing, right? Pathologies are you seeing? What ty- what types of patients are you seeing as a transfusion medicine doc? I would say that uh, at the bedside, uh, we perform a procedure called apheresis, which I describe patients as an oil change, uh, where, for example, if you have a patient with sickle cell disease, um, these patients can be chronically dependent on Uh, blood transfusions. And one of the ways we can treat them is by exchanging their abnormal red cells and transfusing them with normal red cells. Um, So that procedure can take about a couple hours, we'll say. Um, But let's say you've got someone where the problem isn't with their red cells, but with their uh, plasma. So if they have a neurological condition with uh, some sort of antibody-mediated issue, or if you have someone with uh, thrombotic thrombocytopenia purpura, TTP, um, often you may need to exchange these patients' plasma. So we will take out their plasma and give them back either plasma or albumin, depending on what the specific condition entails. And so there's a whole slew of guidelines put forth by the American Society for Apheresis um, that sort of gives an idea of what kinds of um, conditions that uh, we would uh, be treating. And so you can see the kinds of patients uh, that we would encounter based on these 
conditions. Um, in addition, though, given that I'm also in charge of all the blood products uh, that we uh, dispense in our hospital, um, whoever needs blood gets blood. So emergency patients uh, who come in with traumas, um, surgical patients that are in the ORs, uh, that need blood uh, because maybe something is going well, but maybe something isn't going well. Um, uh, obstetric patients, we really touch really everybody, I would say, anyone and anyone who needs a blood product. Uh, that really comes through me. So it's a very uh, ginormous responsibility. Yeah, let, let's talk about that responsibility because I, I, you're the first guest I've had on the podcast who is a blood bank specialist. What what are you doing day in and day out? What are the roles of a physician in a blood bank? Responsibility is to uh, make sure at the end of the day that all blood products that come out of uh, my blood bank are going to be compatible with the patient who is going to receive the blood product. Um, and... One of the ways we do that is we make sure that patients haven't developed any antibodies to some of the uh, antigens that are on red cells. And if they have, then I better make sure that I find units of blood uh, that would be negative for those antibodies so that they don't see those antigens and react to that if possible. Um, sometimes, uh, we might, be, we might not be able to work up a patient's uh, antigen uh, status. Um, and as a result, we may need to release blood somewhat emergently. And we have to caution physicians who require uh, that blood uh, emergently that we haven't really uh, completed all the testing we need to do to find the best matched blood for them. And usually that happens when the patient is... Uh, bleeding significantly, and uh, they can't wait for any testing, and they have to transfuse something. So we can give um, uh, special blood for that, but we cannot guarantee that it would necessarily uh, not cause an adverse effect. So um, we have to be mindful of those uh, particular conditions. Um, we also here in the blood bank uh, manage uh, factors. So say, for example, like uh, uh, prothrombin complex concentrate or Kcentra, um, and uh, 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 factors used to help treat patients with hemophilia. So factor eight, for example. So we actually manage that here as well, and uh, distribute that accordingly. Um, and if uh, we also make sure that the doses. Uh, appropriate. And if uh, we're wondering about it, we'll talk with the clinician to say, uh, why did you order this dose? And we come to uh, understand why they do uh, what they do and uh, provide a recommendation to say, well, we agree with you, that seems appropriate, um, carry on. Or if we feel that we need to, or if we feel that we uh, would, it may be too high or too low a dose, then we'll say, uh, what if we kind of uh, give a, give it this way because we feel this might be a little bit better for the patient? And so, um, yeah. Describe a typical day. Typical day uh, for me would be come into work, um, follow up on any patients that may have come in at night uh, that have required maybe a significant amount of blood or um, uh, patients who have received. Uh, certain factor products. Um, 
we have to retrospectively review a number of uh, products that we give out. Um, for example, also radiated products um, and uh, make sure that that's appropriate. Or if it isn't appropriate, then we uh, talk to the clinician to say what their, to try to find out what the right reasoning was actually. Um, and uh, once I do all of that, um, we'll take some time to teach residents. Um, I will also uh, conduct research and I also double um, as uh, well, not double, um, part of my training as a pathologist, uh, clinical pathology. So um, if I'm on service for electrophoresis, I'll interpret electrophoresis. Um, if I'm on service for um, our uh, hematology uh, side of things, then I will uh, read slides and uh, interpret uh, peripheral blood smears. Are there any procedures involved with being a blood bank specialist or transfusion medicine specialist that somebody who wants to be working with their hands would like to do? Um, the procedure, I would say, is uh, usually uh, apheresis, or at least that's my exposure. Um, and often that involves the help of uh, a nurse to uh, run a apheresis machine. Um, and you're sort of overseeing all of this um, as it's happening. Not really otherwise other procedures per se, though we do often work with nursing, for example, to uh, make sure that standard operating procedures so that when we issue blood, uh, the nurses are able to transfuse it in the right way. Um, and uh, we also have to oversee the procedures that our own blood bank uh, technologists are uh, doing so that when they are performing all the laboratory testing, those procedures are being done correctly. So while not directly hands-on, uh, we certainly are overseeing a lot of the procedures that, our, that other people are doing to make sure that uh, it's going uh, swimmingly. What does call look like for you? So I take about six to eight weeks of call. And during that time, uh, uh, the residents usually field any calls that come from uh, often the blood bank. Uh, as a clinical pathologist or as a pathology resident, a lot of the calls come from uh, blood bank. Um, and uh, if there are any questions that they have, they can uh, ask me about it. And uh, uh, usually, um, like I had said, it's mostly blood bank. Uh, related questions, for example, uh, public related questions. Sometimes it could be other specimen related questions, such as uh, was the specimen received appropriately in the laboratory or not? Um, also, trying to get a hold of clinicians who uh, may have ordered the lab but uh, may have left for the day, and the laboratory is trying to get a hold of them and isn't able to get a hold of them to communicate the critical result. So, uh, if that's the case, then we try to get a hold of someone who would be able to take the results so that they could determine whether or not it is appropriate to basically uh, the lab will communicate a result and uh, if they can't get a hold of someone they'll uh, oftentimes ask the uh, pathologist on call to help relay the result because it's usually a critical result which is why we're calling and relay it to a physician who would be more closer to the patient um, and be able to help uh, address the result and figure out what to do next basically. What is the training path to become a blood bank specialist, transfusion medicine specialist? So after medical school, 
you can do uh, really whatever you want for residency. And there are certain residencies that may tend themselves toward uh, wanting to become a transfusion medicine uh, physician. Uh, for example, uh, pathology uh, is uh, one route. And in fact, the uh, board certification exam for blood bank and transfusion medicine is offered by the American Board of Pathology. Um, otherwise, patients who may be undergoing uh, training in anesthesiology uh, may be interested in transfusion medicine, also uh, hematology oncology, um, maybe even emergency uh, medicine as well, though typically pathology is the route you would go to uh, transfusion medicine, blood banking. Is there enough patient load out there for someone to go from anesthesia to be a transfusion medicine specialist full-time? Or is that just an extra thing that people would do? It would probably be an extra thing that they would do. Okay. How competitive is it to match into transfusion medicine? To transfusion medicine itself, not competitive at all, I would say. Um, since I trained as a pathologist, uh, I had actually looked up uh, some of the uh, data from the results and data of the 2019 residency match. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to become a pathologist, actually, um, there were uh, 924 applicants for 601 pathology positions, and about 95% of them were filled. So with nearly three positions for U.S. senior, about 93% of U.S. seniors who applied were matched. So Nice. Uh, really good odds of becoming a pathologist. And once you're there, you can kind of decide after that what you want to do. Transfusion medicine, not too difficult, I would say. Yeah. As a, a transfusion medicine specialist, a blood banking specialist, are there any other opportunities to subspecialize? Or are you kind of at the end of the road there? You can subspecialize in something else. Um, you can subspecialize in really anything for me in pathology. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, something that could go well with transfusion medicine would be, uh, say, hematopathology, although uh, they can be somewhat different. Um, The transfusion medicine side of things is rather clinical pathology heavy. Uh, Hematology or hematopathology sort of overlaps in that a lot of it is all blood related. Um, uh, Otherwise, if you'd like to specialize in another uh, specialty that's a little bit closer to clinical pathology, such as uh, maybe microbiology or clinical chemistry, that could be done. Um, But for now, I'm finding that uh, uh, what I'm doing is most enjoyable and uh, needed, so to speak. So I would hope that I could continue on as a transition specialist from here on out. But I'm open to uh, other opportunities as uh, they see fit. Do you see any negative bias towards the DO population out there? Oh, on the contrary. Uh, actually, um, there's been an increase in DOs that, I've, uh, that have been reported going into pathology. Um, in fact, uh, I can say that one of my co-residents from when I was a fourth-year resident, uh, she was our chief resident. She was a DO. And... Uh, um, Subspecialized in dermatopathology, which is really hard to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she got into it no problem and uh, has a really sweet gig. So I would think that there isn't really any uh, negative bias against uh, DOs. 
I want to know if there's any special uh, OMT training for tissue slides. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid that if we were to massage the cells themselves, they might pop. But I like where your head's at. <laughs> yeah. What do you What do you wish primary care providers knew about what you're doing day in and day out, or is it something that you really don't interact with them at all? Actually, on the contrary, we interact with primary care physicians a lot, um, and we also. I interact with general surgeons a lot. Um, I would think I would. We as pathologists work with both doctors and patients, and what we do is we help the primary care uh, providers select the most appropriate uh, tests so that uh, resources are utilized in a cost-effective manner without harming the patient. A lot of what we do as pathologists. Uh, and transfusion medicine specialists in a way too, um, is we want to make sure that we're giving the patient what they need. And often tests are ordered uh, abnormally. And for me as a transfusion specialist, what's really, uh, what I uh, really harp upon is uh, whether or not the blood is being used appropriately. Often we give blood unnecessarily. Uh, for example, we want to order so much blood for somebody who may not necessarily need it. And there has been a lot of data to show that a restrictive transfusion strategy uh, is, uh, can be beneficial compared to a more liberal transfusion strategy. In other words, the less blood you give somebody, uh, the better it can actually be in certain clinical situations. Um, and I'm of the mindset that less blood is more. It's kind of funny where I'm a transfusion specialist and I hold all the blood products, but honestly, I don't like to give it out unless it's absolutely <laughs> necessary because it's technically an FDA regulated drug. It is toxin. It is poisonous. There have been studies that have shown that uh, a, a transfusion of blood is independently associated with increased mortality. Uh, and so uh, it has to be utilized in the right setting. And well, most of the time it is, often it isn't. And so my job is to help make sure that uh, the blood that is being distributed is used appropriately. Yeah, so. that's good. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for a blood banking transfusion medicine specialist? Yes. Um, blood bankers, transfusion specialists, uh, can function as medical directors and other uh, doctors of uh, blood donor centers. So whenever someone wants to go and donate blood, um, there's usually a transfusion specialist somewhere behind the scenes making sure that the blood that is being donated is uh, tested appropriately for any infectious diseases, processed appropriately, uh, and then distributed it appropriately to people who need the blood. So like hospitals, for example. Um, sometimes uh, uh, sometimes uh, transfusion specialists can uh, be more of a face to the public in terms of requesting need for blood donations. Um, and uh, as teachers, uh, uh, I can think of one particular example, uh, the blood bank guy, uh, Dr. Joe Chaffin, uh, who uh, is uh, a fantastic transfusion specialist and really an educator. So outside, I guess, from the clinical side of things, being the educator of blood and blood products 
and teaching uh, students of medicine. Uh, and I'm sure he does this with uh, all his patients uh, as well, really his uh, donors too, um, helping along that aspect of it is, uh, is something that we uh, do. So, What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into blood banking and transfusion medicine? I wish I knew a little bit more about blood banking and transfusion medicine a little bit earlier. Uh, I wish I actually knew about pathology a little bit uh, earlier. And I think what would have helped me uh, would have been to do a um, a uh, post-sophomore fellowship uh, in pathology, which uh, many institutions offer between the second and third years of medical school, uh, where you are doing nothing but uh, pathology, and it's both anatomic and clinical pathology. And uh, if I had known about that uh, in medical school, um, I or I would have probably tried to investigate it a little bit more um, and try to do it and see if this was more of a fit for me than uh, something like, say, uh, more heavily bedside medicine, neurology, internal medicine, something like that. What do you like the most about being a blood banker, transfusion medicine specialist? I like both the patient side uh, and the laboratory side. Um, these puzzles that we're trying to solve, where we're trying to make sure that uh, these puzzles that we're trying to solve, where we're trying to figure out if a patient has an antibody to a particular antigen and where we try to find blood products that would be compatible with them. It's very interesting. I really enjoy the teaching of it. Um, and, uh, I would say all of that together is a very nice balance for me and how I like to, yeah, it's a very nice balance for, for me. What do you like the least? So here's what I guess I would like least that I think is important to know, uh, for, to let the, to let, uh, our audience know, uh, we tend to work behind the scenes and often does get unnoticed and or is simply undervalued by administrators and even patients. Uh, relatedly, I would say that uh, pathology often does lack support and resources or even basic facilities uh, compared to, say, more money-making surgical specialties. Um, lastly, I can say that as pathologists, uh, the workload can get really busy. Uh, it can also result in slower than expected turnaround times, um, which, of course, can delay care. However, um, the job of the pathologist is to efficiently make the right diagnosis the first time around. Otherwise, haste, waste make, haste makes waste and uh, could result in significant errors that can seriously harm the patient. So, For someone who is interested in, in potentially going out into the community, what opportunities are there for blood banking, transfusion medicine specialists to, to go out into the community versus staying in an academic setting? So as a uh, straight up blood bank or transfusion medicine specialist, uh, being part of a donor center uh, would be uh, very much out in the community. There, as a pathology trained transfusion specialist, uh, you would be a pathologist practicing in the community, predominantly uh, anatomic pathology, but with additional training in blood banking, uh, you would address a lot of a lot of calls that you would be getting on call. 
and that would help you actually. And as a result, you could be put in charge of the community blood bank uh, setting or like the blood bank that's part of uh, like a community hospital, for example, where you're taking call uh, and performing the functions, like I said, predominantly as an anatomic pathologist. Do you see any major changes coming to your field in the near future? Yes. Um, from transfusion medicine specifically, uh, we're bringing back whole blood. Uh, so we used to give whole blood uh, in the military, uh, and we still do, uh, but since World War II, we've developed the ability to provide more component therapy, which basically means that we're able to give someone only red cells if they only need red cells, only plasma if they only need plasma, or only platelets if they only need platelets. Uh, and that has a lot of benefits, uh, but we are realizing that in, say, the trauma setting, uh, whole blood actually has been very beneficial. And so we're bringing whole blood into, uh, the, civilian, uh, into the civilian world, so to speak. Uh, so I think that's actually really, really interesting. Um, in the pathology side of things, since first and foremost, I trained as a pathologist, um, on the plus side, uh, we've had, there are a lot of hot, uh, hot topic advances in pathology, uh, including artificial intelligence and digital pathology, liquid biopsies, and also next generation sequencing. Um, these are just basically fancy technologies to supplement the microscope, which has been in use since the late 16th century, and honestly will continue to be used for the foreseeable future. Um, on the negative side, though, I will say uh, there is a physician shortage in the U.S. affecting many specialties. Of course, pathology is no exception. Um, I had uh, recently read an article published in 2013 um, offering a predictive model examining some of the factors that are influencing pathology workforce uh, supply in the United States. And what I had read was somewhat uh, shocking, actually. Um, basically, in the coming two decades, it's projected that there will be a decrease from 5.7 to 3.7 full-time equivalent pathologists per 100,000 population. Um, retiring pathologists are anticipated to peak in 2021, so that's only a couple years from now. Um, but we're looking at a deficit in an excess of more than 5,700 full-time equivalent pathologists, partially because of an aging population and also pathologists are vital to providing access to laboratory services and impact uh, providers' abilities to deliver more effective healthcare. So we need uh, pathologists uh, more than ever, I would say. Uh, so I encourage any uh, audience Anyone from the audience who is interested in pathology or even remotely considering it, please look into it strongly. For the the technologically advanced, the technologically savvy, uh, I, I consider myself one of them. I know that Google uh, specifically, I'm sure there are many others, are working on machine learning to read slides. And obviously, it's going to be one specific thing that they can read for now, and then they'll add another thing and another thing. But it seems like in 10 to 20 years, machine, machine learning is going to be able to replace uh, or be an, an adjuvant or adjunct to, to pathologists reading slides all day, every day. How do you see that impacting the field? Um, it, in, in the future, not, not necessarily the near future, because I don't think it's, it's anywhere near prime time for the next couple of years. 
Even in the near future, uh, there's been great advances, I think, in this uh, field. And I would agree that artificial intelligence uh, would be an adjunct. I don't think it would ever replace the pathologist because I don't think anything could come close to replicating the human eye uh, and uh, let alone the human eye in its use of uh, the microscope, which has been in use, like I said, since the late 16th century. And we continue to use it as the primary means of diagnosis. Uh, but I think if artificial intelligence is able to, in a way, help us, um, say, from a digital pathology perspective, uh, where we can, uh, say, practice telepathology and have uh, slides be put on the slide, uh, slides be seen by an artificial intelligence type of uh, machine from far away and be able to project it so that we could see it from where we're sitting uh, in our offices or our homes or wherever. I think uh, that could be one way that it would be very useful for us. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a blood banking transfusion medicine specialist? Yeah, I'd probably do that. I very much enjoy this topic in the field and, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Any last words of wisdom for the medical student out there, maybe even the, the pathology resident uh, who may be interested in blood banking, transfusion medicine to, to get them either interested in pathology or interested in them in, into subspecializing? Yes. Um, for one, of all the medical disciplines, pathology... I think offers the most subspecialties uh, from the anatomic side of things. Uh, you can find a subspecialty fellowship in pretty much any of the organ systems, um, either systems or simple organ, say ocular, um, or if you want to do uh, more gynonc, uh, you can do that. Uh, so each of these different systems uh, can be its own subspecialty for a year at least. Um, and then there's the clinical pathology side of things. So like transfusion medicine, uh, clinical chemistry, hematopathology, toxicology. So it's, uh, there are a lot of different ways you can function as a pathologist. Um, and regardless, I would say, of whatever uh, our audience members wants, wants to do, I kind of think of uh, medicine as like this journey on this expressway. Uh, so once you decide to start, there's a series of borders you cross toward reaching your final destination of being an independent and licensed physician. Uh, accidents, of course, happen, and you may run into speed bumps. So alternatively, uh, routes, uh, alternative routes may have to be taken. So take care. So I encourage uh, uh, medical students and uh, aspiring physicians to take care of themselves, make frequent pit stops. Enjoy the scenery and reflect on the vehicle that they're riding. So uh, that vehicle contains the most important aspects. So books, sporting equipment, maybe a partner, kids, animals, whatever. So, All right. So there you have it. Again, Dr. Aaron Schmuckler in West Virginia talking about being a blood banking transfusion medicine specialist. It's very hard to say over and over again. Hopefully I didn't stumble. I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. I'm excited to bring you episode 100 here next week 
or in the near future. I hope you have a great week. See you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.